and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Fear Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijar Nathan, and joining us is co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Hey, VJ. How you doing today? Good, good. How are you doing? Almost August. I'm right? all right. Yeah. Almost August. I'm, I'm calling in from where you were just a week ago in good old Colorado. Um, and uh, yeah, summer is in full swing. August. Excited for. Excellent. Denver, right? Or in uh, the mountains? I'm in, I'm in, in Denver, just all in around Boulder, Denver. Um, and heading to some high altitude areas. Excellent. How do you excellent. do with how do you do with how do you do with high altitude? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, Denver is not so bad uh, for me uh, as mm-hmm. far as like the you know altitude sickness and all that kind of goes. I, I actually went to the Himalayas, Himalayas uh, with the highest altitude where I felt a little effect, but um, but not even that. I took some um, you know altitude sickness medication there when I went to, to India mm-hmm. to northern India. Himalayas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, okay. I'm feeling a little loopy, loopy today, but that'll be good <laughs> for for our guests to uh, engage with from from uh, from a little mountain yesterday. But excited to talk to uh, to our special guest today. Yeah, special guest is Dad Rutkowski. He grew up in uh, Central Pennsylvania, a graduate of Cornell University and the John Hopkins University. He's the author of seven books. Most recently, Tricks of Light, a poetry collection. His novel, Haywire, won the Asian American Writers Workshop's Member's hmm. Choice Award. And his memoir, Guess and Check, won an Electronic Literature Award, Multicultural Fiction. He teaches at Medgar Evers College and received a Fiction Writing Fellowship from the New York Foundation for the Arts. He's been a resident writer at Yadow, Yadow uh, McDowell, and other colonies. As a sponsored reader in Berlin, Hong Kong, and Singapore, he lives with his wife, Randy Hoffman, in Manhattan. Welcome, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. For oh wait, let me see. Uh, Mike four. Sorry. All right, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, Dan. thanks. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, now we can hear you. I have okay, the one mic up. <laughs> great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming in, we made it. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome, welcome. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, we want to start a little bit about your writing and a little bit about. Um, you know what? What? Uh, what inspires you? What kind of brings you into the space? Um, what kinds of things do you write about? What are the themes or, or obsessions you have as a writer? Okay. Well, first, I just want to say hi to Scott. Uh, we met yes. at the Inspired. Word. Yeah, at the Inspired Word at uh, Parkside Lounge uh, with uh, Mike Geffner. Uh, do you remember that show? I don't totally remember. But, I remember you as well, and, and okay. yeah, we've been, that okay, so been a long hiatus from was that. A, it was a few years ago, uh, before way before the shutdown. Um, but right, anyway, hello, right. hello again. And uh, uh, VJ just asked me what I write about. Well, I, I write about my my experiences. Uh, you'd say my writing is autobiographical writing. Sometimes you'd call it autobiographical fiction because I. I do make some things up, and I try to make uh, my stories more dramatic uh, uh, than they were in real life. I'm not keeping a diary, but um, I use my experiences as material to uh, make um, stories that are more um, complete or more sh- uh, have a form um, that you don't see in life. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, 
So I, I wonder, I'm wondering a little bit about, you know, one of the things we talked about before, Anne, is being a essential truth you think is undervalued in society has been creativity. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when we think about creativity in terms of like what you were just saying about like writing about your life, you know, and all this kind of thing and right. being creative about it. You know, it's interesting because this whole modality of like the creator mindset that we're creating our own life, we're creating mm -hmm. the circumstances of our life, we're creating the, mm -hmm. you know, like we're, we participate, that we're not passive, um, you know, and passively right. receiving, rather we participate. Talk a little bit, if you could talk a little bit about your kind of understanding of creativity in that right. regard. Yeah. Right. Well, this is the truth to power show. Yeah. And uh, one of the truths that uh, you were asking me, do I see an essential truth? Yeah. Uh, somewhere, and I think that an essential truth for me is that creativity uh, makes you a more complete person. Mm. It, I don't know if it makes you a better person, yeah. but creativity, I think, is an optimistic activity meaning that uh, you don't create unless you believe something better will happen. Yeah. Um, and creativity could be anything. It doesn't have to be fine art. It doesn't have to be literary writing. It could be growing your garden. Yeah. It could be planting a garden and watching it grow. Yeah, make That's, sure you're speaking into the microphone. Okay, am I, am I yeah. clear enough yeah, now? Yeah, no, I, no, I got you. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I'm just saying creativity can take many forms. Yeah, it could be growing a garden. It could be decorating. Uh, like I said um, in my in my answers to your pre questions, um, uh, decorating an Easter basket. Oh. Uh, it, but whatever it is, uh, creativity means that you're making something out of nothing, mm. and um, and I think that it makes you a better person to do that. Even. It might it might be successful. It might not be successful. But the process, yeah. the process of creating, is the important thing here. Yeah, because also it's interesting as you're saying. Like I know a lot of writers use their life as the baseline. You know, they're they're talking about their life and then kind of creating from that and kind of recreating. Or to what extent do you like you know? Um, you tell us a little bit about that process, that creative process in regards to using memories and how you kind right. of recreate or fictionalize. Well, I, I use yeah. my memories a lot in my writing. Mm. Uh, that's because I don't write historical fiction. Mm. I don't write um, fiction that needs a lot of research. So mm. I use my memory as my research. And I grew up in northern Appalachia in central Pennsylvania. Uh, so that if you can picture that, it is um, a rural area. It is uh, a red state. Um, not, well, the whole state of Pennsylvania is not red, but it's a red county. And, um, um, uh, and I was the only guy who looked like me in my school, okay, because my mother is Chinese. So I took a lot of heat for that, and um, that uh, gave me a lot of material. It <laughs> gave me a lot of material to write about. And it was um, not just not just in school, but my, my parents being biracial meant that it was hard to, identify, hard to figure out who to identify with, my mother or my father, because they were of different races. My father was Polish-American. Uh, his name was Redkowski, which sounds Polish, and um, so I identified as both, and I still identify as both. Some, some people see me as Polish, some people see me as Asian, um, and it it changes depending on the context, on the context that I'm in. But just dealing with this and trying to put it into a sense, giving it a sense in words, 
uh, gives me a lot to write about. That and I use my childhood a lot in my in my books. Um, and I and then um, when I I moved from there, I went to college and then moved to New York City um, quite a while ago, forty forty some years ago. Uh, that gave me another chapter of life to write about, um, adjusting the life from the country to the city and uh, trying to, um, just trying to survive, trying to pay my bills in the city uh, was another chapter of life. Wonderful. Yeah, so, so it's a lot of, uh, about place, about, about culture, some of it. Um, when, you're, when you're speaking, when you're drawing from, from one's own life, how, do, how does the process work when you're working about uh, people? Are you, are you asking for permission to, to use the lives of other people that, that have crossed for, for you? Are you taking any you know, liberties, combining different people into characters? Like, I've come into that as mm-hmm. well, you know, using specific you know, relationships or other people. Um, do you kind of go direct with who you'd be speaking about, or is there some sort of process with that? Well, I don't. I name very few people in my fiction. I usually mm. describe them uh, with a label, like my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, right. uh, my wife, my daughter, uh, instead of naming them. Uh, it, I don't know if you're asking me if I'm uncomfortable with using their factual life in my work i'm not i'm not worried about that (laughs) uh right you know for one thing no one's ever questioned me about it no one's ever complained that i portrayed them wrongly um Mm. and uh i mean it could happen i've heard it happen with famous writers that people they've portrayed have complained uh that the writer has uh shown them in a negative light uh i I'm not worried about that because I don't name anyone, and it's not um, it's not a problem if it's true. It's only a problem if it's right. a lie, and I try not to lie about anyone. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Like um, you know, all these different controversies around like fabrication and, and memoir, but you're really fictionalizing. You're really working in like. Poetry and fiction, which is slightly different. We have a poetic license in that regard mm-hmm. to be able to um, give our interpretation, mm-hmm. how we create the yeah. circumstances. Yeah, I've done more, you know, factual type reporting type articles. Not mm-hmm. many, but I wrote some essays for the New York Times where they wanted some actual information. Yeah, and uh, I put in the information. Uh, it, I think, it slows it down a little bit. It slows down the story, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, Sure, you know, I, I if there are facts, I want to get the facts right. If if I'm talking about, for example, I was talking about a place in Louisiana one time, and I called it a county. Well, there are no counties in Louisiana. Uh-huh. There are only parishes. There's a Beauregard Parish. Uh-huh. It's not Beauregard County. So I had to get that right. Yeah, it's interesting to me also that when we get deep into our personal stories, we achieve a kind of transpersonal, you know, um, thing that, that goes beyond just us. It's about all people who identify, all who can identify and live through uh, our experience because we're being true to our core, you know, I feel like, you know, and we'll get a chance to listen to a little bit of your writing and people can kind of access it through that yeah. point of like, you know, like sharing in that human experience. Yeah. Right. I was thinking about the definition of truth. Yeah. Um, before I came here. And 
right. to me, truth is something uh, that is not necessarily factually correct, mm. but that feels true mm. and that people can understand across across borders, across limits. To me, that, that would be a deep truth. Uh, and I think that every artist is aiming for that, is aiming for something that can be universally shared, yeah. uh, no matter what form the work of art takes. It doesn't have to be writing. It could be a painting. It could be a song. I think you're trying for... Uh, something that can be shared across many people, across a community of people. And that, to me, would be a truth. Yeah, I also wanted to talk a little bit about this colony residencies out, working in colony community, uh, and how a community can form these truths. Like when you're, when you're working in these, um, uh, you know, I think these are collectives, right? Mm-hmm. These are the collectives. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, you're talking about art colonies, artist, yeah, art colonies. Col- artist colonies. Yeah, yeah. there are couple dozen of these mm. i think in the country yeah where you reside you yeah. you go there and live there for a certain amount of time could be as short as a week it could be two months oh. and you uh, live with people who you don't know mm. and some of them are very uh cooperative i was at one where you had to work a, f- a few hours a week that was part of the deal to live there so um uh, my job Part of my job was to cook dinner um, uh, one night a week, and then I did some outdoor work. I raked some leaves um, another you know another day of the week, and it was a real cooperative uh, uh, place that that was called Cummington community in um, it was in Cummington, Massachusetts, which is which is near Northampton, Massachusetts. Uh, it has since closed, but it was there a long time. Um, but other colonies are uh, just where you're given a studio and you're given a bedroom and you're given food and you do whatever you'd like uh, in your in your studio. You're not required to show anything, but people usually do share their work. Um, and uh, it, it's it, the, the great thing is it's egalitarian. Everyone's treated the same. So all the rankings of artists uh, disappear, or they're supposed to disappear when you're at a colony. Everyone's this, everyone's on on an equal level, mm. which is nice. Mm. So you can sit with someone who's famous, and you must have dinner with this. You have dinner with this person like they're your peer. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a very nice thing, and um, and it's totally supportive because no matter what you do, you're going to. Yeah, like unconditional support mm. from the colony. So that's great. That's nice. Yeah, and that tips over into the the kind of the power element of this show, truth to power of kind of everybody being yeah with on on a, on a same same level. Do you find when you're at there, you do generate a lot of a lot of new work, or it's more sharing some other stuff? Um, well, I would that, say that, yeah, uh, yes. I mean you. Go there. You should go there with a plan to yeah. do some work. Uh, uh, if you have no plan, it's hard to just come up with ideas when you're out in nowhere. Uh, a lot of these places are out in the country, uh, and you're you're cut off. I didn't have a car uh, at these places, so you're cut off. Right. And so it's good to have uh, a project. It's 
good of a project before you go and use that time to work on your project. Yeah, it's so good to hear about the um, elements. Now, also, you're a teacher, I believe. Uh, tell us a little bit about how what you what you uh, how you communicate all these different uh, lessons that you've learned to your students, and a little bit about your process in in that regard. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's that's a big question because yeah. <laughs> I, I first think of my college students. Okay, those are these are undergraduate students at Medgar Evers College, which is part of. Uh, City University of New York. It's here in uh, Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and we talk about we talk about ideas like creativity, but yeah. it's usually in a context of uh, how it it's it's more difficult to be creative if you lived in the past. For mm-hmm. one thing, it was harder in the past. It was harder if you were a woman, because uh, we read Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own, where she says a woman needs a room of her own, and money if she's going to be creative. Um, and at that time, it was hard to, if you were a woman to have money in a room of your own. And the idea is there, it was because of sexism. It was because of gender discrimination. Women weren't allowed to make money. Women weren't allowed to own property. Um, you know, Women d- couldn't vote, things like that. So it's usually in a context of some kind of um, uh, difficulty or obstacle. We talk. We would talk about creativity and self-actualization. We talk about that a lot too. That means becoming your best self. Now, uh, we don't just talk about that in the abstract, but we look at it in terms of how why why is it difficult for some people to become their best selves? Well, there's all kinds of discrimination going on. It's not just sec. Uh, it's not just gender. It's uh, racial discrimination and it's class discrimination. Okay, if if you are of a different, of a lower, whatever, if you're of a different class, you are looked down on by people of another class. If you are of a different race, you are looked down on, and things become more difficult. And I ask the students, do you think we've made progress? This is the kind of discussion that we have. Have we made progress? Have are we are we there yet? Uh, are you know um, are things better now? Mm. And I will tell you, almost a hundred percent across the board, students tell me we've made progress, but we're nowhere near where we should be mm. in terms of uh, opportunity, in terms of privilege, which yeah. uh, you'd say white people have, yeah. and people who are not white do not have. Mm. So we talk about these things in terms of the readings that we do. And we read, uh, we have a diverse list of, of authors. They, we must have uh, women as well as men. We, mu- we have authors from around the world. We have uh, South Asian author Valmiki. We read the Ramayana. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, you know, we go from ancient times to present. Yeah. We go from ancient Greece up to Alice Walker. Nice, nice. So in a semester, yeah. so it's fast. It's interesting because um, in your, one of your answers, we were, I was going over like when you teach, what do you hope the listeners will receive from you? We were just some of the discussion around play versus having some kind of thesis or point to what they want to say. You know, in your answer, you were discussing how the freedom of expression is key to any creative endeavor, but also that they have to have some kind of point in what they're saying. All right. So 
Yeah, that was kind of what I got out of that. So right. it's interesting that the interplay between like creative play and uh, right and thesis. There, so. I was talking about creative writing. Yeah, where I I teach that um, to adults and non-credit mm. programs at the YMCA mainly, mm. but I do a lot of one-off, one-time workshops. Yeah, and I was talking there about creative writing. And yeah, in college, I'm looking at analytical, analytical right. at essay writing. Yeah, right. right. Um, critiquing oh, right. Uh, literature. Uh, or you know, writing about oneself. Yeah. But uh, in creative writing, I'm what I do is I try to tell people that they can go anywhere, uh, but they should have a point. They yeah. should have. They should be writing about something, yeah. and the point should be clear. Yeah. If we can't see it, then the the work needs some kind of uh, improvement mm-hmm. if, uh, to make it clearer to make it stronger to make the point um uh you know easily graspable by the reader uh but everyone's story is unique Mm. but everyone has a story i believe everyone has a story to tell i think joyce carol Oates said if you survived childhood you have a story to tell Mm. Uh, so that's most of the people i meet yeah yeah, I think in terms of an anchor, like having an anchor that will really ground the work in a specific, like image or specific idea or specific like thesis, and then let, and let the reader can then the reader can then access it through that access point and get into the the depth. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, I yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Good. And you know, there are many ways to do this. Yeah, uh, and it's up to you. Yeah, how you want to tell your story. Exactly, exactly. You know what voice you want to use. What uh, you know. What uh, are you telling in the first person? Are you telling in the third person? Uh, you know there are some rules. Yeah, there are some rules, but I think we start with it wide open. Okay. So why don't we get a chance also to listen to your writing, and then uh, why don't you prepare a little bit to get some of your writing together, and then Scott can uh, chime in if he uh, has any thoughts about that. Yeah. Idea. Uh- I mean, I, I think we're going to talk a little bit about um, the the power element, and I, I just was reading something about you were part of the the group, the Unbearables, um, right. Uh, right? And and hear a little bit background as to you know what 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 their presence was within New York City. Is there still an active community uh, amongst them? Um, and give give our listeners a little a little context for that. Yeah. Uh... Right, I, I consider myself a member of the Unbearables, and I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm a member of the Unbearables, mm-hmm. and you know uh, they might be intolerable, but they are actually good writers. They're a bunch of good writers yeah. and artists. Um, and I was not at the founding of the Unbearables, which probably happened around 1990, maybe earlier than 1990. And I am not one of the um, founding members, but I have been reading with them or uh, in public poetry readings uh, doing or doing various events with them probably since the mid-90s, maybe earlier than that. And uh, there is still a community community called the Unbearables. Um, They used to um, stage certain kinds of uh, literary uh, you might be familiar with this literary protest events they sat in at the right, new yorker right, the bit. new yorker mm-hmm. magazine in the lobby 
of the New Yorker to protest the poetry policy of the magazine. And uh, what came out of that was um, one of the unbearables uh, named Sparrow got uh, three poems published in the New Yorker. So the protest paid off. Uh, And they would do things like uh, form a, a line, a chain across the Brooklyn Bridge and read aloud to whoever was walking across the bridge, across the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, things like that. They would put on these events or, you know, have um, uh, themed, kind of themed readings. Uh, and I would participate in many of those. And there also, you would see a lot of them in now in the show at uh, the Whitney Museum called the Biennial. There's, a, there's an exhibit... Uh, uh, on the gather on a gathering of the tribes, that was Steve Cannon's group. Oh, that's right. That was uh, centered at his house on East Third Street, but you see many of the works of the Unbearables in that exhibit, which is on right now at the Whitney. And I uh, I read for that exhibit when it opened, and I went there about a week ago just to see it again because. Uh, you can yeah. sit on a couch, like the couch in Steve Cannon's house, and just look around at the walls, at the posters and the magazines and the books that this group huh. put out. And it's not the unbearables themselves, but they were a part of this, uh, a part of this center. Can you zoom out a little bit for the listeners? Like, you know, the unbearables, what, what are they? Or what, what are they? Yeah, what, what is that? Yeah. A little bit of a zoom out for those that aren't familiar. Oh, uh, Seems a little bit like well, it's a group of writers and artists. Yeah, and, uh, and they are they, yeah. local. Yeah, um, New York. Yeah, they're in New York. Yeah, uh, they like a, put out some anthologies uh, called the Unbearables. The, uh, mm. Maybe six mm. um, anthologies. They publish books. Mm. Uh, they have an imprint, oh, uh, and it's. Um, sponsored by Autonomedia, which I believe is sponsored by Columbia University, and there's an Unbearables imprint. Um, and also, they, you were saying they engage in like some political work? Like, yes. You know, that, so, sit-ins. Um, yeah, uh, sit-ins and such. Uh, yeah. They still continue to do that? They, well, since the shutdown, there hasn't been much activity oh, yeah. in, any, in any part of the, the world, you know, yeah. uh, the literary world. Literary. There have been readings, some readings, but yeah. um, nothing. I mean, protests have nothing continued big. through the pandemic. In other words, like some some civil action has continued, but with BLM and and it's, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's yeah. rough when you have to read through a mask. Yeah, if the yeah. venue says you must read through yeah. a mask, well, this is very. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, this this is puts a damper on. Yeah. Things, okay. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there haven't been. I hope there will be. I hope there will be events. Yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, uh, we're still around. Yeah. <laughs> we're still we, around. Why don't we get to your reading? Uh, as it's already around the halfway time. I always remind listeners, this is the Truth of Power Show. I'm ready for Brooklyn. We're, we're here with co-host Scott Raven and myself, Vijar Nathan, with uh, Rakowski. Um, so he's going to be reading a little bit from, uh, which work are you reading from? Tricks of Light or? Tricks of Light. Oh, great. Yeah, my yeah. latest book. Yeah. Um, we'll listen to I, I flagged some poems here. Yeah. Uh, and they're roughly in chronological order. Mm. Um, so they start early in childhood and they go through uh, my adulthood when I had um, a family. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I have a family now, wife and daughter uh, now. 
So uh, it spans a lifetime, and I would just and I just read a poem, and you can chime in mm. and comment on it if you want. Mm. Um, I mean, this is just uh, near the beginning. It says about where I'm from. I mentioned I'm from northern Appalachia. That's called where I'm from. I don't think anyone outside of a 10-mile radius has heard of where I'm from. The one-street town lies downstream from another one-stream town, one-street town. I never made it more than a mile or two from my home. For transportation, I used a bike, my feet, or skates. Surrounded by nature, I had no choice but to appreciate it. I was raised as white, but I'm not white. My father saw no difference between races, while my mother never forgot hers. My goal was to learn to drive, then climb into a car with a full tank of gas, floor the accelerator, and blow out of there. I did leave there. I didn't blow out of there, <laughs> but I did leave there. And um, I'm thinking there's another here uh, early on visiting a dentist again about my identity, mm. uh, my cultural identity. Uh, it's called foreign fillings. I'm asked if the fillings in my teeth were done in a different country. I wonder if foreign fillings look different. Are they higher or lower on the tooth or have a different color? Maybe what looks different is my face, as if I'm from a different country and had my earlier dental work done there. What country do you mean, I asked the dentist and his assistant, because I can't quite figure out what country they think I'm from. Maybe they don't know. Maybe all they know is I don't look like they do. I wait for their answer with my mouth open. Um, here's one later, just about later my daughter and I visiting central Pennsylvania. Um, there are a lot of Amish people living in central Pennsylvania. I'm sure everyone knows that. Uh, it's called In the Valley. In the Amish store, white-capped women greet us. One lights a kerosene lamp to illum illuminate the herbs for sale. When one speaks... We hear her Pennsylvania Dutch accent. In their long dresses, they study us as we make our small purchase. My daughter and I walk out of the store and look across the valley toward the hill of unleafed trees below a rainy sky. A pickup truck skims by. Culture shock, my daughter says. She means the landscape. But she could mean the highway and the vehicle as if she were speaking for the Amish. Yeah. 
I'm just going through the book. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Maybe one more, and then we can continue the conversation. We'll chat about it. We'll chat about that. Uh, I'm going way forward here. My mother now is uh, elderly. Mm. Um, she's doing okay, I think, but who knows? And she has a hearing uh, problem. She has she's hard of hearing. So this is about trying to talk to my mother now. It's called beef brisket. I tell my mother, my wife made a beef brisket for Passover. But my mother can't hear what I'm saying. East birthday, she asks. No, I say beef brisket. Spell it. Does it start with an E? No, it starts with a B. It's a food. Beast birthday? Is it an animal? (laughs) Yes, beef. Beast no, I can't hear you. All I can hear are birds chirping. Where are you? On a bench outside. Can you hear the birds? No, I say. My hearing aid is turned all the way up. All I can hear are the birds. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know how, and some of how direct, but also surprising it is. Like how direct um, communication is in the poem. How we're able to access your experience. And it has a little surprising turn at the end, always. I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Uh, yeah. What you see is there. <laughs> yeah. That's deliberate. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And the, uh, some of the earlier ones were, yeah, a lot, a lot about movement and, uh, I mean, different modes of transportation. Um, and, yeah, you touched a little bit on, I guess, spirituality and, and whatnot. <laughs> um what, do, can you can you touch a little on some of your own spiritual practices that uh, maybe feed your writing or or just uh, on a hobby level? I mean, do you currently still bike and skate and that sort of thing? Uh, yes. Uh, I I was going to say I don't know if it's spiritual, but it is yeah. calming to ride mm-hmm. my bicycle, and I try to do that every day. Uh, on average, Great. I ride somewhere every day, not too far, but I live close to the uh, East River. Um, in Manhattan, so um, it's easy for me to go uh, ride along the East River, and um, I, I don't do this very often, but it's also calming to go fishing, and I uh, re- went in June to uh, the Harlem Mere in Central Park, uh, yeah. and uh, you know it's just catch and release uh, there, but and most of the time uh, there's no catching, there's nothing doing but it's a nice walk around the, the lake <laughs> and i actually caught a fish and released it and released it so that's a calming activity yeah uh but i think i think that i've become more spiritual uh in later years uh than i was i'm not sure what that means but to me it means that uh there is something outside of us uh there is more than what we see mm. there's more than what we know mm. uh and and one has to have a belief or a faith to say that yeah uh, and i do believe that there is something beyond the earthly plane uh but what it is i cannot really describe Mm. Uh, just that I believe there is something more. 
Yeah, and also talk a little bit about, uh, yeah, it's very interesting to think about, but uh, also talk a little bit about more about the influences you've had uh, literary-wise, um, like the, the kind of writers you read or the kind of literature that mm. influences your writing style, uh, any particular, um, you, you mentioned right. a few in your pre-interview, but I want to give you a chance to circle around. To, All right, let me, yeah. let me finish answering that first question yeah, on spirituality. Sure, sure. I wasn't raised in any religion. Uh, which maybe is to my detriment. Uh, maybe I missed out. But um, my mother, uh, I think, was Confucian and a Buddhist because she grew up in China. And her philosophy of life rubbed off on me. Uh, and she would often quote Confucius. And I don't know if many mothers do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this yeah, better? You're leaning back a little bit. Oh, yeah. Is this better? Yeah. And... Uh, uh, so I got that from my mother. My father was Catholic, uh, Polish Catholic. You can tell because my name ends at S-K-I. It usually means Polish Catholic. Uh, but he really lapsed when, I, when he had a, uh, children and a family. Um, didn't, I didn't uh, really learn that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that doctrine, that, that religion. So, like I said, maybe I missed out on that. But to go to your next question... <laughs> Your yeah. next question, uh, could you ask it again, please? Yeah, basically, like, as you're growing up or as you're growing in who, who did I read? Who did you read and did that influenced your writing style, yeah. Um, I have seen a pattern lately that I like short story writers. Now, uh -huh. I've read many different kinds of writing, poetry, novels, plays, um, uh, saw a lot of movies, uh, but what I... Uh, I think what I related to most was short stories. Mm. And uh, the writers I would read, I read when I was, well, a young adult were Raymond Carver, Richard Brodigan, uh, Donald Barthelme, who, who wrote, uh, I, I don't know if they were stories, but they were short prose pieces. And uh, uh, Ann Beattie, Tobias Wolfe, uh, people like that, uh, who were known for short stories, though I guess they wrote some novels as well um and i think i also speak in short stories i like to tell stories and that's why my class my workshop is called telling great stories because i want my students to tell their stories mm. uh, no matter what they are i want them to tell a story with a, a beginning a middle and an end and i like to to do that myself in conversation but i think that some people get a little tired of hearing the whole story. Mm. I just want the point. So, but I, I like to speak in stories and I like to read stories. Right. When you're working on a book, are you, are you actively reading and, and consuming a lot or you prefer to kind of be in your own space uh, when, when a book is in, in the works? Oh, when I'm working? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. One is you need your own time and space to work on it because writing is a solitary activity. But the other idea is that you need things going on to keep you energized, to keep you alert, to keep you aware of people in the world. And I find that also helpful to interact, interact with people because it gives me 
new ideas or new ways of looking at things to interact with people. So it's both. Uh, I, I appreciate both, if that's what you're asking. Both, both, approach, yeah, yeah. both no, approaches. I, I, both approaches. Because we've been talking a lot about creativity, and, I, and I've been thinking just a lot about will, the, will the, the number of creators outnumber the number of consumers ever? Whereas, you know, if we think social media and people putting up, you know, content, 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 content. Mm -hmm. um, will there, will that balance ever shift where people want to either be a part of it or create stuff rather than even consuming? Um, yeah. Or there's kind of like a crossover happening a little bit about that. Again, some conversations yeah. based on right. like the Marvel movies of some people, you know, they, they, the same stuff keeps coming out and they want to keep watching them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, I, but I don't people know the want answer. to be their own, a, their own heroes. It's a yeah. good question. But, you know, everybody wants to be a star and nobody wants to be an audience. <laughs> I will say that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, realize your own potential as a creator is important, I think, in any process. You know, we all have to realize that we're all creators. But at the same time, it's like we all consume uh, every day. We're consuming something. I mean, I think uh, I think we do possible. I think we do both. Seriously. Yeah. We do both. Yeah. But I think we should support each other. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, think artists should sh support each other yeah. uh, as friends, mm. uh, no matter what, no matter, yeah. uh, we shouldn't uh, be uh, competitive. I don't think we should be competitive. Yeah. I don't think we should be retaliatory, but there's plenty of reason to be both. Okay. Uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, there's just, there's too much discouragement, you know, in the world. I think artists should uh, help each other. No, totally. And I think it's very good to bring back to the collectives how that practice of like, you know, being cooperative and supporting each other. That's a great exercise in, in my vision. Although I haven't actually participated in a collective living, but I think I imagine that that would be a great exercise and like that more people should experience to be able to, mm -hmm. Have well, that exercise in, it, in my classes when yeah. we discuss uh, a piece of writing. Yeah. The rule is you must say something positive. Yeah. To begin with. Yeah. You must say what you like. Yeah. Before you can start questioning it. Yeah. You have an access point of you know having that foundation that I appreciate that you're the, the mm -hmm. artist, the writer mm -hmm. is even trying this and even putting right. themselves out there. Right. The author is kind of trying yeah. to say something. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Yeah. Um, and how can the author say it better? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. And also, I think that there's a lot of like self, like there's a lot of self criticism as well. So we want to acknowledge that, you know, yes. there's a lot of, so much of that that, you know, that we want to kind of affirm it, the person. It stops people. Yeah. It stops some people, but I say, don't stop yourself. Yeah. Okay. Don't, mm -hmm. don't yeah. reject yourself. Exactly. Because exactly. you're going to get plenty of that from other people. Yeah. <laughs> no need to do it yourself. Yeah. So this is the Truth to Passion Radio for Brooklyn. Um, we're here with Scott Raven and Thad Rakowski. Um, Radio for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, promote media literacy, education, free expression, public art. We rely primarily on donation listeners like you. Every dollar helps us to stay on air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support the monthly pledge or one-time donation at radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and would like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, go to readyforbrooklyn.com slash Amazon. Register Ready for Brooklyn is your Amazon small charity. 
Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase benefits Ready for Brooklyn. Um, if you're listening to Ready for Brooklyn when you're in front of your computer, free yourself up by downloading our free mobile apps for iPhone or Android. Available in the App Store for iPhone and Google Play Store for Android. And be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter, the latest news about new programming, upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. So these are our final episodes of the Truth to Power show. Um, we have four more episodes, I believe, left. Three live, and one will be recorded previously um, and uh, in, uh, in August. And then we'll be uh, taking a hiatus indefinite. But, um, yeah, it's been a really great uh, show. We have 15 more minutes, so we can continue the conversation. I was going to give a few shout-outs to the Radio for Brooklyn and the community that it supports. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. So, Scott, what do you got? Yeah, uh, so Thaddeus, what, have you ever any experience with collaborative poetry as well? I was wondering, uh, working maybe with other artists to present something uh, collectively with within one one piece, two voices? Yes, uh, some, some experience with that. I worked with Edwin Torres, you might have heard of him. Yeah, yeah. As a spoken, he's a spoken word uh, uh, performer and poet. And uh, we did a rather complicated piece with different languages, uh, starting with English. And then each speaker uh, gave a translation of that uh, in, a, in, a, in their own language. I did Chinese, and um, it was choreographed or orchestrated uh, by Edwin so that it wasn't just one person and then the next. They overlapped. This voices overlapped, and we did that at a couple of places, uh, St. Mark's Poetry Project on New Year's Day and uh, at the Museum of the City of New York on another occasion, and that worked well, uh, but it required um, rehearsal. We, we practiced it, yeah. and it was pretty, it, it went off pretty well. I did another piece where we, with Edwin, where I think we didn't um, uh, rehearse it well enough, and just the loudest people were the ones you could hear. <laughs> and, and if you right. weren't loud enough, you weren't heard. <laughs> so uh, that was not the way to do it. <laughs> so, I won't say where that was. Yeah. <laughs> Does that is that translation piece appear in print or 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 a, a video so. of it? I I don't know. I don't know. Um, Edwin would probably have the text. Uh, yeah. There was a script, and we had a script on paper. Um, I will say that, which helped. You know, it's not. Uh, it does help to have a script, um, but it was. A number of years, it could have been 10 years ago, it was a, it was a 9-11 piece. Um, after, it was after 9-11, but it was on the theme of 9-11, and it was on a poem that Edwin wrote. So he would probably have, have, that, have that text. Right, right. So we started talking about how you know, we had met through Inspired Word. Have you started to return to, to some live venues uh, in and around the city to, 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 yeah. to speak out? Yes. Um, any any coming up? But 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 uh, yeah. What are some of the some of the go to uh, communities with which now you're part of? Um, well, I'll just say that uh, Great Weather for Media, which uh, sponsored a couple uh, yeah. readings by by VJ, um, uh, has a, a reading series every Sunday afternoon at the Parkside Lounge on East Houston Street, uh, and I think Parkside has many events, but 
this is a poetry, uh, uh, live poetry event with, I think, a couple, two features and an open mic every Sunday at 4. Uh, I recommend that. Um, and uh, uh, there's still uh, events going online. Uh, but I avoid them because I will tell you, I don't like to read or teach online, and I'm glad we're getting back to in-person. I, I think that when you use Zoom, you lose um, a lot of gesture, a lot of, um, a lot of the picture is missing. You just is missing on Zoom. Mm. So um, um, I'm glad we're getting back to in-person. Uh, I've been to readings at uh, KGB. KGB is open uh, uh, for live readings now. Um, and uh, those are the two places where I think they're, oh, Auto Shrunken Head on 14th Street is, is going back to live readings now. Um, so there are a number of places. In, these are all in the East Village. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with with live readings, um, you know. Uh, personally, I, you know, I've gone to a few of them. I I can't say I'm there regularly. Uh, next time I'm re- oh, next time I'm reading is at uh, Swift's Hibernian Lounge. Swift's mm-hmm. Hibernian Lounge on East Fourth Street has a series on Monday nights, um, and I'll be reading there. August twenty second, uh, Monday. So that's my next great appearance. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I want to uh, circle back to the consumer creator matrix, and um, you know, when I previewing to your question, they asked you, "What is a few works, or what is some works that you felt ever in the world should experience?" And it's interesting. You were telling me like you were answering it with some of the things you're consuming at the moment. Is that kind of oh, like right. you know? It's like you're answering <coughs> right, like, right. things you're like momentarily awareness that things are coming up for you. Um, yeah, and, and oh, if right. you tell I've, us if we could check in with what's coming up for you now, or right, or I just yeah. I just finished reading Americana, which is yeah. a novel by Chimi, Chimamanda Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Yeah, Adichie. Yeah, uh, it's a long book, but it was worth it. Yeah. It took me about a year oh, wow. <laughs> to read it. Yeah, uh, but. I, it's one of the things I could teach. It's on the list of, we must teach a novel mm. in literature, or a literature class. So mm. it's one of the novels we could teach. I think it's too long to ask students to read in a couple of weeks, which yeah. is all we have. Um, it's almost 600 pages long. Mm. But uh, it's really, it's about a Nigerian woman who comes to the United States and lives, to the United, lives in the United States for a few years yeah. and goes back to Nigeria. And how black people are seen in Nigeria versus in the United States, and this is probably an issue that's not dealt with in many books. Mm. And so it's great to read this uh, to see the black experience from someone who is not a, an American black person. Yeah. Um, then um, I'm reading now a novel by Ocean Vuong V U O N G. Mm. called On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous, mm. which is in the form of a letter to his mother who was Vietnamese, who is Vietnamese, I guess, um, and didn't speak, doesn't speak English. So he wrote this letter, this novel, in the form of a letter in English to a mother who couldn't read it on the page. Mm. So, uh, and I'm just at the beginning of it. 
so he's a he's a he's a kid now mm. talking about his mother and his grandmother he grew up in um, he grew up in Hartford Connecticut and lives now in Massachusetts I believe but I I've, I've heard him read and um I wanted I'm just reading it for my own pleasure uh it's just a poet I've enjoyed listening to mm. um it's interesting the the mixture of like classical works as well as contemporary in your right. list um and to what extent like you know it's like I know a lot of people have this bias in either regard um with some people advocate you know for only consuming the classics some people advocate right. i guess in the developmental cycle it depends on you know well like, i just bought a book by yeah. anton chekhov yeah stories by anton chekhov so that yeah. would be classical yeah exactly. and i do teach a story by anton chekhov yeah in my literature class yeah and i'm really looking forward to reading those because uh the consensus is he's one of the greatest short story writers mm you know in in literary history so yeah we should read i think probably some of it's lost because i believe he wrote in russian yeah and so we're reading a translation so we yeah. can't quite get the nuance uh, in the of the original yeah. but it's still very powerful yeah yeah it's interesting since the, now now we have a lot of um criticism and and focusing on the canon the western canon as being not as um, you know, mainly dominated. Not not as multi lens lens through which is looked at is a lot of times uh, homogenous. Um, so we're trying to introduce or bring into the awareness, especially in our students, more than the diverse lens of writers from, from backgrounds that are, you know, traditionally not included in the canon, uh, so that then we can uh, re re kind of calibrate our um, you know the standards, you know, so that then we can be more inclusive. So yeah, I I noticed that you're in your list. Um, it's mostly you know you're kind of looking through a multi-cultural lens as well as mm -hmm. doing your own writing. You're of course mm -hmm. examining the mm -hmm. the dual lens. Yeah, more uh, observation. Yeah, um, since I'm from a couple of different cultures, yeah. the Asian and the American. I mean, I'm mostly. I mean, I'm basically American. Yeah. I mean, let's face course. it. Yeah. I grew up as an American. Yeah. In America, but I tried to. I'm I'm trying to. Um, you know, recover yeah. some of the Asian, some of the Polish, uh, you know, in my, in my life. Yeah. The, the, you know, your lineage is so important. One's lineage right. is so important, both, uh, you know, kind of the familial lineage as well as, you know, kind of being in the community with mm -hmm. other writers and, and, and supporting as you were, as you are discussing the supportive community as well, uh, as well as looking at your heritage and, and the, and the kind of relic and the kind of, uh, Testimonies that come from that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm doing. Many other yeah. Pol Polish authors, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did what did you say about Polish authors, Scott? No, I'm just not familiar with it as mm -hmm. as many uh, Polish mm -hmm. authors. Have you been? To there's Peru? a whole. Do you know there's many a others? big. Uh, well, um, I was named after a Polish epic poem called Pan Tadeusz. My ah. name Thaddeus comes from Tadeusz in Polish, and it means Sir Thaddeus, and it maybe is the main epic poem in Polish, but it's not recent. It maybe it was written in the 1800s by a poet named Adam Mickiewicz, and I'm told it's taught in schools in Poland, and I do have a copy of it, but otherwise, no, I haven't read much. Uh, I mean, well, the Jerzy Kaczynski is is recent, 
he he grew up in Poland, but lived in New mm. York. He lived in New York and wrote in English. Um, but yeah, a couple of Polish poets have run, have won the Nobel Prize recently, also. Uh, uh, Milos, right? I think won the Nobel Prize. Yeah, and there's a woman also. Uh, forget her name, but Polish woman poet won the Nobel Prize recently. Mm. Uh, so there's a whole, and I and I'm in touch with Polish writers have found me, so they send me things, uh, and I do hear from them. I've only been to Poland once, and it was really brief. Oh, you have been. I've been once. Yeah. I was in Berlin, and Poland's 50 miles from Berlin, so I just took a day trip to Poland and back mm -hmm. from Berlin. Um, but I would like to go there. I would like to spend more time. Yeah. I've spent more time yeah. in Asia than in Poland, but I would like then to go in back Poland. to Poland. I'd like to go as well. I've got, I've got ancestors of the SKY variety. Uh, right. well, that would be, the the, they would probably be Jewish then, yeah. if they're, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? there were some, some yep, Ravinsky into, yeah. had adapted into Raven um, of the Jewish variety. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't explored that side of my ancestry. Yeah. But, well, yeah. My, my yeah. wife and daughter are Jewish. Uh, and uh, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Um, oh yeah, you uh, mentioned Passover. Yeah, yeah, Passover, right? Yeah, I was supposed to say I went to Poland uh, recently-ish in the past five, ten years, um, and uh, one of the most affecting, most emotional and affecting experiences was to visit Auschwitz, which is in Poland, um, right. and it was very affecting and very powerful to you know connect with history and and really have that experience. Right. I think I recommend people do that. Because I think it's important to bear witness right. and remember and, and testify. Right. All I those, did that. All things. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Berlin, there was yeah. a smaller concentration camp yeah. near Berlin of course. in a suburb called Oranienburg. Ah. And it's uh, a museum now. Oh, wow. wow. But it still uh, yeah. has the architecture exactly, of, a, exactly. of a camp. Yeah. So thank you so much. We'll get some closing thoughts and then we'll, we have about a minute left. So we'll get some closing thoughts. Comments, and then we'll close out. I think less than thirty seconds. Go ahead. Yeah. So thank you. Thank well, you just so thanks for having me. I wanted to congratulate Scott on your Microsoft Prize. That's a big deal. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I was reading that was about a while that. Ago, and I did watch yes, some of your uh, performances on YouTube. And I was telling VJ earlier I watched his readings for Great Weather for Media. Um, right. He was right. on there twice, which is a lot yeah. for Great Weather for Media yeah. to be to do two features for. Great weather in about a year, yeah. the past couple of years. Thank so I watched those and I I appreciated them and I'm glad you had me uh, here on your show. Thanks so much, guys. So we'll see you again next week, August seventh at eleven a.m. Thank you. Take care.